0: If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. This morning's message is coming from Luke 10, 17 through 24. Father, we thank you so much for this word. We praise you that we have it. We look to you as our gracious and kind God to open our eyes and our ears and help us to see Jesus and to understand and to know the truth. We ask it in your beloved son's name. Amen. How important do you think is perspective? Really important. <laughs> Depends. It really, perspective and how we view things is really a difference maker. How we see things interpret, interpreted through ours and what we believe is happening at that moment, that will affect us in profound ways. Because what we believe is happening to us and around us determines what happens in us. Let me explain what I mean by that. Let's say a bomb goes off in a school in Linwood and 10 kids are killed. Some people are outraged because they see the injustice. Some people are indifferent because it happened to people they don't know and because it's not them, they don't care. Some people are grieved to the depths of their soul that are past finding out because someone they loved was taken. Some people are angry at God because they believe he could have stopped it and he didn't. Some people are blaming the government because they see bad policy as the reason why it happened. Some people are frustrated because they see the lack of guns, uh, sorry, gun laws as the problem. And then on the other hand, some people are ticked because they see the absence of guns in these environments as the problem. In every single case, what is happening in us is the result of what we believe is happening to us and around us. Our perspective, how we believe these events and how we interpret them. The same thing is true when something really good happens. If we found out that a wealthy relative passed and they put us in their will and we inherited $500 million, there are a number of perspectives we would have in relationship to this. We might be in shock because we can't believe something like this could actually happen to me. We might be angered, even, because we believe we deserve so much more. After all, this person was worth $50 billion. What a cheapskate. We might be in tears and completely overwhelmed and humbled because we believed that we are so unworthy for something like this. We might be overwhelmed and thankful because of our great needs and the blessings it would be we might be we might be a person who believes that no such thing is possible for a person like me how could this be and because we don't believe this is almost happening it takes us a long time for actually it to sink in what we believe affects how we receive what we believe is happening to us and around us determines what happens in us. This is why the number one thing you or I can change, which will change our attitudes and our, perspe- and our, our behaviors, is our perspective. And by that, believing what is taking place and understanding it, interpreting it. Frank Koch, a naval officer, wrote of an experience he had while at sea. Two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lockout on the wing of the bridge reported light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern? The captain called out. The lookout replied, Steady, captain, which meant we were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. The captain then called out to the, sing- the signal man, Signal that ship. We are on a collision course. Advise you change course 20 degrees. Back came a signal. Advisable for you to change course, 20 degrees. The captain said, send, I'm a captain, change course, 20 degrees. The response came, I'm a seaman, second class. You had better change course, 20 degrees. By the time the captain was, by that time, sorry, the captain was furious. He spat out, send, I'm a battleship. Change your course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light. I'm a lighthouse. Change course 20 degrees. (laughs) They changed course. (laughs) The only thing that changed in that whole discourse was the perspective of the captain about his situation. And what he believed and understood was actually taking place. What he believed he saw and how he interpreted it was not clearly, not correct, right? However, once he saw the reality of the situation and believed the truth, he changed course immediately. We often have the wrong perspective of what is happening to us in life. But Jesus, graciously at times, corrects it. Here in our text, he doesn't correct every wrong perspective that we might have. But he does address some really key areas in our life. He reveals to us three main areas. And I was kind of clever in this. If you look at your outline, I talked about success, self, and sight. S-S-S. So you can perhaps remember a little better. He's addressing here with his disciples... The issue of success, how to look upon it. The issue of self, how to look upon it. And the issue of sight, what you see, what you're able to see, and how to look upon that. And we're going to look, upon, look at each of these in turn. In verse 17 through 20, if you look there, it says this. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to you and us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Here Jesus gives them the proper perspective by revealing to them that success isn't the thing to rejoice over. When Jesus sees the disciples all pumped up after their return, you can easily relate to them and imagine their excitement. After all, they went out into towns and villages and told people that the kingdom of God came, is, is near them. And then, what do they do? They heal the sick. They cast out demons, raise the dead. You know, as people come up to them, who are paralyzed. And they, in the name of Jesus, they're not, no longer paralyzed. People come up to them, who are blind. And in the name of Jesus, they pray for them, and they're no longer blind. People who are deaf, and they're no longer deaf. People who are maimed, and they're no longer maimed. I tell you what, I'd be a little jacked myself. You can imagine the excitement. You can imagine what they're going through. Laying, people, laying hands on people with terminal cancer, and they're healed. You name it. Every disease, sickness, affliction, and sorrow was being lifted. Could you imagine being a part of that and that happening through you? Of course you'd be excited. Of course this would be amazing. They can't believe the power of Jesus' name. You look in the text, this is what they're doing. They're doing this in Jesus' name. They can't believe even the demons are subject to us in your name. And they're pumped. And yet Jesus helps them to see what they should really be rejoicing over. The thing that they should be doing, cartwheels over, is not that the demons are subject to them, but that their names are written in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. He's giving them perspective. Don't be so jacked and excited about what's happening and all the success you're having, these great things you're able to do, and all that's happening to you. You should really be rejoicing that your names are written in heaven. And the reason for that is because Jesus knows what awaits them, He knows what this life is in comparison to the next. He knows what's going to be coming to them. And if you're getting excited about this, you should not so much be excited about this, but you should really be excited that your names are written in heaven. Because as other place in scripture says, no eye has seen nor ear heard what awaits those whom love God. You can't even imagine it, in other words. You think this was great? You think this is good? My disciples, you see nothing. It's really going to be good. So, Jesus wants to give them perspective about what is truly awaiting them. And the same way for us. Isn't it easy for us to get caught up, to get excited, to get excited about successes and things that maybe God does through us or in us or things that God's done for us in our lives and we're getting excited about and thinking, boy, this is great. And what would Jesus say to us? He'd say, don't be so excited about that as much as you should be excited that your name's written in heaven. Because if you really understood this life in comparison to the next, it would rock your world. It changes things. If we should, whenever you do or taste anything good, have you done something and you enjoyed it? Have you tasted something and and have you liked it? Have you experienced something thought, this is pretty good? You know, all you're getting is a little droplet on the lips to say, how did that taste? Good. That's just a little foretaste and foreshadow of something that's to come that's much greater. Much greater. We all need to remember that we live in a broken world. That longs and groans for the resurrection. Awaiting what Jesus is finally going to do. This life and this world, the way it is, is short-lived in comparison to what's coming. You remember when I did that analogy, I brought out the rope, and you guys saw that rope was out here, and there's a little piece of tape on the end, and the rest of it was this never-ending. And it really shocks your mind to see it, because you see the comparison of this life compared to the life that is to come. But what that didn't reflect, if I could somehow uh, give you an analogy for that was the difference that this life is going to be compared to the life that's to come in terms of quality, in terms of goodness, in terms of joy, in terms of pleasure, in terms of delight in what God has for those who love him. We so often get caught up and we think that this, the world, and the things in it, are, these is pretty good, man, and I, I'm, I don't know, I, I'm not really looking forward to leaving this place because there's some good stuff. And Jesus says, "Whoa, you just, you don't have proper perspective. You don't understand that in comparison, this life is your hell. The life that is to come is a life that your, your imagination, you can't imagine the depths and the breadth of the, of the goodness of God. You can't imagine what is awaiting you. It's so good. You know, the life... Is so awesome, often this life is so often grasped after by so many. We want everything in this life. Are we like coveting and hungering and lusting and craving so often for the things in this life? And, 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 and how little do we think of the life that's to come? Guilty is charged. This life is what I see. This life is what I taste and what I know. And so often, this is the life I get caught up in. And I forget. And I need perspective. I need Jesus to come and rattle me and say, wake up! Don't live for this life and the things in it. Live for the life that's to come, which is eternal, where wrath and moth and rust cannot destroy. Look at what we do. Look at what we invest in, in the homes in the ho- and the boats and the vacations and, and everything else. And what's, what's true about them all? Man, they require a lot of maintenance. Are you on a boat? What's that like? Come on. <laughs> I tell you what, that's a money pit. One thing you just watch it, just sit it there, and you'll see it just start to like deteriorate. It's like, unless you're busy working on it, it accumulates moss and, and rust, and the, the trailer wheel falls off, and there's something. It's like, what's happening here? Why is it so frustrating? And does that not frustrate us? Because built in us is eternity. We long for this we, we don't like this world. And then around our our possessions grows weeds. I hate those things. Have they figured out a chemical yet? Yeah, and it killed my dog and my <laughs> ruined the environment. But I got the weeds, right? This is what we're like. We get so caught up in this world and the things in it, and we lose perspective. And I pray that Jesus would allow us to meditate on this, to think upon this, and to dwell on this. The fact that Jesus wants us, like he did with his disciples. Don't get so excited about success and the things you have and the things that are working for you here. You should hear Let me help you. Get really excited that your names are written in the book of life, that your names are written in heaven, that this is where you're headed Because I tell you, it's good. It's really good. And I think sometimes we question and doubt the goodness of God. And as because we question and doubt and wonder about that, we tend to invest a whole lot more here and now. But I tell you what, um, man if we could just look at what God was willing to do to his only beloved son for us here on this earth. Let that be somewhat of an idea of what he's going to do for you in the life to this come. All of Jesus's, all the goodness, all the blessings, every little thing you taste in this life that you consider good is only a foretaste of what's to come. We need to maintain that perspective, which is so difficult. We need to meditate on the life that is to come. We need to get excited about the resurrection. We need to get excited about what it's going to be like. That, as that fills our hearts and our minds, we all of a sudden then, what happens with that perspective? What do we do? We're able to sacrifice and put off in this life and invest for the life that is to come. And it changes the way we live here. If I'm living for the life to come, I live way different here and now. If I'm leaving for here and now, and not for the life to come, I live a whole lot different here and now. And you can see it in what people put their time and energy and effort and concern and desire into. But may Jesus grant you perspective and allow you to see this, that success isn't the thing that you should be fixed on, but the fact that your names are written in heaven. Jesus moves on and goes to say, say this in verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Here Jesus reveals to us that self, it only receives when it becomes like a little child. And here I'll explain what I mean by this. Jesus is rejoicing in his spirit. And then he <clears throat> breaks out and prays to his father because of what the father is doing and what he's done in these, what he calls them, little children. Jesus creates two categories of people here. On the one hand is the wise and the understanding of the world he refers to. And then on the other, little children. He's so thankful that, that the father he says, hey, just I'm rejoicing. That you you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. This displeases Jesus to no end. Now, obviously, these terms are used metaphorically because no one, not one of the disciples, were little, actually little children. Surprise, surprise! Right? They weren't little children at all. They were men, grown men, and we know that the scribes and Pharisees they were not actually. Uh, that wise and full of understanding in fact we find out that they're actually he calls them fools he calls them a brood of vipers he calls them you know you're like whitewashed tombs That you're all dead on the inside you're dead and you're darkened in your understanding and yet we also know this don't we from scripture that wisdom and understanding are perhaps some of the greatest gifts God bestows upon people something that that we should long for that we should seek for that we should pray for in fact if we're biblically wise it says the beginning the fear of God the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom not only that but according to the epistle of James if anyone lacks wisdom we're to seek God for it so what is he doing here in our text why is he calling the wise and understanding, the Pharisees and little children, that his disciples? Why is he doing that? Because I believe he's using it metaphorically and culturally, flipping the categories on their heads because of the way the people thought about little children and the way they thought about the scribes and the Pharisees. He's using the titles and the, and the way they thought about them, and he's, he's giving value, he's flipping the value. Because Israel at that time believed that the wise and understanding of the day were the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious elite. And you know, the little children on the other hand, who were they? The little children were foolish, uneducated ones who were down at the bottom of society. Send away the little children. You even see this in the attitude of the disciples, right? Send them away. Someone shoo them. Get them away out of here. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Bring them here. And then he he blesses them. He says, for of such is the kingdom of God. And then he also said, Jesus has said in other places, unless we become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. The way in which the disciples were like little children was in the way they didn't care about what others thought of them and how they were so simple in their devotion to Jesus. Now, the disciples would have been not too proud of the term, oh, my little children. What do you mean, little children? Little children. Don't call me a little child. See, I'm a grown man. It's like I, I don't like to be called a little child. And if Jesus, I can just imagine Peter. Jesus would turn to Peter and say, "Well, unless you become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom." Oh yeah, I'm a child. Like, look at me. Like, I can be goofy. <laughs> you know, the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious elite—they were perceived as the wise and understanding. And they were unlike children in that they always cared about what others thought of them. They're, so, did I say they were like children? I can't even remember what I said. They were unlike children, is what I meant to say, if that's not what I said. They are unlike children in that they always cared what others think about them. You notice that about children. Children don't care what other people think of them. Now, the children do uh, get intimidated and afraid, they'd be fearful, as long as it's not, they're not afraid what you think of them, they just might be afraid, because they're afraid of strangers, perhaps they could be fearful, but they typically don't, they're not not self-conscious, as we would say, and they're very, usually, trusting. But yet, on the other hand, the scribes and the Pharisees, they weren't like this at all. They above all things, what they did is they cared about what others thought about them, and they weren't very, They didn't trust God. Just think, I'll show you three passages that reflect this in Matthew, Matthew 6. Matthew 6.2 says, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Matthew 6.5 And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. That they may be seen by others. Here's a refrain you're going to hear. Matthew six sixteen. And when you fast, do not be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disguise, disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Do you see a theme here? And these people, the Pharisees and scribes, he's speaking. They know who he's talking about. Because they're sitting there and he's just nailing them because they know. Yeah, it's, that's why I wear the long flak threes. And, and that's why I do the long prayers. And that's why I do my fasting. And, and they know in their hearts that they're, when they're seen by others. And then when they're perceived by these people because of these actions as the wise and the understanding. And they're so unlike little children because all they care about is that others are looking at them and what others think of them, what others perceive of them, and they're not trusting God at all. Do you realize, do you ever recall in your own life a prominent feature that that takes over when you hit your teen years? Remember what happened? Self-consciousness. I remember going through my teen years and all of a sudden I become so self-conscious. I care about what everybody thinks. I care if they, what, what are they thinking about the way I'm dressed? What do they think about the way I, I said that? What do they think about my shoes? What do they think about my hair? What are they, oh look, they're looking at me. What are they thinking about? They're, they're thinking about me again. And I felt entrapped and imprisoned. And I remember longing, oh, God, I wish I was like a little kid again. I remember those years, I didn't care what anybody thought. I felt so free, and I feel like I'm in a total prison now. I hate this prison. It's like everywhere, everybody's looking at me, and everybody notices me, and, and I don't like it. I can tell they're thinking bad thoughts. I can tell they're, they're oh, look, they see that pimple on my face, and, and they, it's just the pimple in my mind is like this big. And I know that they're looking at it, and we have to go through this world, and we become very self-conscious. And oh, what a prison. Yes, it is. And we have to learn to die to ourselves and learn to love others. And as this process, as, as the Lord helps us to gain perspective, it helps us to see ourselves and even helps us. You know, when we begin to see this, we be, here's the best thing you could do. Like our, our temptation is we want to be free. And what do we want to do? How do I get out Oh, read all the books I can. I'm like, how do you stop this? I got to stop this, right? And you try all the tricks and the techniques, and those aren't working so well. Let me just tell you this. This is how you deal with it. By becoming like a little child and going to your father and you confess it to him. You say, Lord, you know, look at this. You know how I am. You know what I'm like. I need you... I need you to make me like a little child. I need you to to make me and form me and give me a heart and a desire and a love and a concern and a care for others. Not what others think of me. Like a little child, if you notice little children, little children, if they want something, what do they do? Well, they'll first ask and then they start ramping it up and they might start Repeating themselves over and over again. And they might get a little upset. They might get angry. They might even throw a fit. But eventually they're doing everything they can. They know where to go to get what they want and they need. And here's what also this is so beautiful about them. They know that what, where to go to get what they need is their parents. And they'll beseech, and they'll plead, and they'll ask, and they'll knock, and they will drive you crazy. And you'll give it to them. Oh, that we would be like little children. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Jesus says, go to your Father in heaven. Do you need something? Do you want something? Quit trying to do it yourself and become like a little child. Stop trying to be independent like an adult and doing it all yourself. Become like a little child. Go to your Father with your need and, and, and plead with him and don't stop with him. You know he's good. You know he'll give it to you. You know he'll help you. You know he'll do what you, give you what you need. Do you not want to be like that anymore? Learn to seek the Father as a needy little child to give you what you need and find Him to be the greatest provider ever. Boy, if you could learn that lesson. Stop going out and trying to learn the how-to and like step one, two, three, if I do this, then I'll get this, and, and and then almost like skipping altogether the one who gives all things. The one who gives confidence, who gives wisdom, who gives security, the one who gives all things, the one who possesses all things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, there's got to be a way here, you know. Well, go ahead, try it for a while, and realize how stupid it is. And hopefully, you'll find yourself one day on your knees like a little child. And like a little child, you'll go to your father and you'll seek, you'll ask, you'll knock, and say, "Father, please." And you will know, and you'll know he'll give it to you. Because you 're simple like a little a little child, and you know who has what you need it's your father and when we have this perspective, this understanding, and we see that you know it's oh man, it is we we want to we always want to be wise and we want to be esteemed, and we want to have like come to me, all you who need wisdom, we want to be this these mature people we're, we're always longing to be GREATLY mature, but how often do we long to be like little children? I'll tell you what, according to Jesus, not often enough. Because unless you become like a little child, you can't even enter the kingdom of God. Unless you become like a little child, you won't even know the goodness and the blessings of your father. Because you'll be too independent, too trying to do it your own way, too trying to do your own thing, too trying too much to be like a, a grown up. But oh boy perspective. Oh, thanks, Jesus. I needed that. I'm trying so much to be unlike a little child and trying so much to be like an adult that I forgot that there's aspects about your children that are glorious. I want you right now. uh, Children. Hey, children. Little ones. How many of you worry about the power bill? I don't even know what it is. And why? Mom and dad will take care of it. They don't have a concern. They don't care. They just, what's for dinner? They live life in the moment, enjoy it, and they absolutely, right now, you, you could be you're like, oh, my kids knew how broke I was. They don't care. They just trust you. They, they, they're... Look at their eyes. Their perspective is what? How do they see the world? This is great. What are we pray, playing with this afternoon? Well, don't, don't you realize there's bills to pay? That ju- this There's a mortgage here. Children, here in a house has a mortgage. You've got to start worrying about that because it's got to get taken care of. Like, what are you talking about? Mortgage. What does that mean? the reason they're like that is they have absolute confidence that their parents are going to take care of it. Where do they think that next meal is coming from? I don't know. Mom's going to cook something up. Why would you ever worry about that? Here's mom's dying because all she has left is a loaf of bread and bag sack of potatoes, and, and the kids thought that the mashed potatoes and bread and, I mean, on toast was just the best thing ever, little gravy on top. Because they just don't care. And they just know and they're absolutely convinced their parents will take care of them. Isn't that a glorious perspective? And Jesus says, you become like a little child and have this perspective where you absolutely... My, my father is so good. He owns everything and he'll take care of everything. And that's just the way he is. And I know it because that's who he is. He just takes care of everything. and I don't have to worry about it. That delights God. He... Oh, this is the best thing ever. When his people... Just have that kind of confidence in him. He'll take care of it. Now, obviously, there's aspects to little children that—that's why Jesus says, like little children. And there's aspects to them that are are glorious, and there's aspects to them that are not so glorious. But there's the parts that are glorious. You should look upon your children and say, Father, heavenly Father, oh, I want to become like my children in this regard. That's a glorious perspective. Your children are teaching you. Parents, watch your children. Watch how they trust you. Watch how they're not self-conscious, but they're wholehearted in life. Watch this and gain perspective. And say, oh Lord, my Heavenly Father, make me like a little child. That's a glorious perspective. You know, lastly, in this particular passage, Jesus gives them this perspective in terms of their seeing, their sight. He says this in verse 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So, if you have sight, you can only see because God opened your eyes. If you have sight, what I mean by this: if you see Jesus and you see that Jesus is the Son of God, you need to understand that that's not like some. You're clever, or you're smart, or you're wise, or because like, yeah, I just I I did the research. He's trying to help. No, you need to understand something: that you are blessed because scales have been removed. God has given you eyes to see. You know, Jesus wants them to realize that what they know and what they believe and what they see has nothing. Let me repeat, nothing to do with them. Every one of us is in darkness and we can't see or understand who Jesus is or what he has done unless he opens our eyes to see And the reason for this is because we were born spiritually dead in our father Adam. We died with our father Adam when he died. And when he died, he didn't die physically. In the moment he ate of the tree, he died. He died spiritually. And do you know what happened? He was cut off instantly. What happened? His seeing went away. He's now, he's cut off from God, the source of all light and life. He's taken out of the garden. He used to commune with God, see God, walk with God in the cool of the day. Now where is he at? Out. He's out, and that's a picture of darkness. Why? Because you know what happens? The whole spiritual realm, the whole spiritual world is gone to us, is, is veiled from us. We're spiritually blind, and so we can't see. We, can't, we look around. We, have you seen God lately? No. Have you noticed that you don't see God? Have you noticed that you don't see angels or demons? Have you noticed that you don't see the spiritual world? You can look all you want, Just flex those eyes, try, look around, try to see. You can't. You're cut off, you're veiled, you're spiritually dead, you're separated. And this, and then that groping darkness, and if you want to see someone in darkness, go talk to an unbeliever and share the gospel with them and proclaim Christ to them. And if Jesus doesn't allow them to see, they'll be like, I don't get it. There's no way. No. As Jesus said, you need to bless God. You need to understand that if you can see that I am the Son of God and you can see this, God has given you eyes to see. This isn't you. You're groping in darkness. We know. We know. As he says in Romans, that no eye has seen. No, I'm sorry, that was the wrong one. We know that he says, that no one seeks after God. No, not one. No one understands. No, not one. And that whole passage in Romans 3, where he's going through, he's like, nobody, not one. Nobody, one. Nobody seeks after God. Nobody knows God. Nobody sees God. Nobody. And why? Because all of us, every one of us, is trapped in darkness. Living in darkness. So to be able to see that Jesus is the Son of God, you know what happens when the scales come off our eyes, and we see, we see Jesus, behold him. You know, it's a glorious thing. We're like, we get, it's like, wow. You see that, yes, he is the son of God. And you have no problem whatsoever. People, you read about the virgin birth. Cool. Wow. That is amazing. Yes. Virgin birth, all the miracles, Jesus rising from the dead, seated right now at the right hand of the father. Oh yeah. Amen. Who couldn't see that? I mean, I read my Bible, plain as day. There it is, right there. She's like, no, no, it isn't actually plain as day. In fact, there's no way that you can see that, believe that, or comprehend that unless he says, I go like this. Because there's a veil. You just, you don't see it. You can't understand it. it makes no sense. Virgin birth, what? Miracle? Ah, no. Son of God? Like, you actually, you're telling me that God like made a virgin, pregnant, and this is like the son of God, fully God, fully man. That's what I'm saying. Are you nuts? Raised from the dead, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. You're talking magic, weird stuff. Show me, I don't see anything. Well, I'll just pray for you. Because if Jesus opens your eyes to see, boom, you will see. And Jesus will become real to you. And Jesus all of a sudden will awaken you to see this. So I want you to understand something, Jesus, here's the point. He wants to give them proper perspective of themselves. There's nothing in you. There's nothing in me. There's nothing in you that would uh, that, that, that somehow I'm looking for all the deserving all those wonderful people out there that I can open their eyes. It's not it at all. You should feel like you won the spiritual lottery. And there you know, there's a sense it had nothing to do with you. <coughs> nothing. That you can see is a gift. And Jesus is here, is helping them understand something. You don't see, you don't perceive, you don't know me because of anything in you. It's because I chose and because I graciously opened your eyes. That's what he's saying. He says, You see, you perceive these things by the grace of God alone. And see, when that happens, when we understand. That we see and we perceive, and it has nothing to do with us, and it's by the grace of God. What does that do? It, it, makes you, it makes you humble, and like makes you think, God, man, why are you so merciful to me? It has nothing to do with me. And here's something you have to understand. It, it's never based on you. It's purely based upon his eternal, gracious mercy and loving kindness our God on the basis of who he is does what he does you'll see this as the psalmist the psalmist David will go to the father and he'll plead with him not on the basis of who he is or what he's done or anything but on the basis I plead with him and I am convinced and I know him to be loving and kind and merciful and gracious and because of that and that alone I will go to him you know, my only, what is your only confidence? What is your only hope? Is it, is it anything to do with you? Is it because of what you've said or what you've done or anything like that? That is a bunch of baloney. It's never because of any, God doesn't ever give you anything. He doesn't ever open your eyes. He doesn't do anything because you're just so wonderful. He does it because He's just so wonderful. And on that basis, on what basis do you come to the Lord? On what basis do you approach Him? On the basis of your works or merit, on the basis of what you've done, I feel pretty good, I feel pretty confident. I had a pretty good week this week. Things went pretty well. Therefore, I've got a lot of confidence moving forward. I'll approach God pretty boldly. No, we approach a throne of grace. You've done nothing. But actually, in fact, you've done everything for me not to give it to you. But I will. That's grace. It's not just that you're neutral. No, far from it. You have no right and no reason and no claim to approach the Father except on the basis of who He is. Why do you come before me? Why do you stand before me? Why do you approach me? Because this is what I'm betting on. Full bet. I'm counting on your good, your kind, your loving You're merciful. And on that basis, Father, I come to you because of what you've done for me in Christ and because of that, because of you. Oh, Lord, I don't come come before you and I don't seek you because of me. You know me. And on that basis, from that perspective, we approach the Father. Jesus said, you know, this morning, Do you notice in your flesh, in you, you you put a lot of confidence in your actions, in your behaviors, how you did this week. Everything, we live so often, don't we, in terms of merit. But your confidence and your boldness must not come from your merit, but must come from the character and nature of God himself. Why are you so bold? Why, were you, why will you approach God? Why will you, why will you plead with Him the way you will? I'll tell you why. Because He's so good. He's so loving. He's so kind. He's so, I know He cannot turn away from me. And why do I count on that? Oh, He's merciful. That's why. He's so merciful. David, when he's given the, the, um, the options of what to do with his son, because he'd sinned, three options. And he doesn't choose any. because he banks on the mercy of God. He knew it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw myself at his feet. I know who he is. I know what he's like. I know he's long-suffering and merciful. And that's what I'm banking on. Not on me. And when we... When we have that perspective, when we see that it's not me, it's him. When we see that it has nothing, nothing to do with me, but everything to do with him. I'm thankful, I'm humbled, and I praise him. I boldly, boldly come before him. Banking on him. Not me. So may God grant us this morning. Perspective. May we believe and know and understand and view the world this way. That you perceive, that you see Jesus because God opened your eyes. That you, that yourself, that you know, to, to think if I want to be free from self, if I want to be not wrapped up in self, then I must become like a little child and I must seek my father, to make me like a little child. If, if, if I'm going to perceive and understand my success properly, I must understand that the greatest thing I could have, ever have is not my success, but the fact that I have eternal life in Christ Jesus. I pray this morning that, this, that your perspective has been changed or at least helped, you, you, that you've, you're viewing things a little differently now than when you came in. And that as you leave this week and as you go throughout this week, that it'll help your perspective and that you'll have eyes to see and ears to hear. Because as your perspective changes, you change. And that's a wonderful thing. Amen. Father, we thank you so much because you're so gracious to us and merciful. And even now, as we come before you and as we pray to you and as we seek you, we seek you as a benevolent, kind, gentle, merciful, gracious, loving Heavenly Father. You will in no way, you will in no way cast us out if we humbly come before you. You will in no way turn from us if we turn towards you. You will in no way give us a stone if we ask for bread. Because you're so good. We praise you, O Lord, and I ask that all of us here this morning, every person here would see how good you are, how merciful you are, how kind you are, how gracious you are, how loving you are, how patient you are. And they would bank on it, count on it, and run to you and find whatever they need. Oh Lord, give us this perspective, for we ask it in Christ. Amen.